part of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hey, good morning, y'all. Welcome to The Valley Labor Report. My name is Adam Keller, and this is Shop Talk, our Thursday morning episode we're producing every week with a focus on labor education, history, and training. It is Thursday, August 17th, when you're hearing this, and I am not broadcasting live from Spice Radio Studio in the heart of the Tennessee Valley in Huntsville, Alabama. I am pre-taping this episode because on Thursday, August 17th, I will be at work at the Orion Amphitheater with my IATSE 900 sisters and brothers working on the Smashing Pumpkins concert. So doing all the behind-the-scenes productions for that show, really looking forward to it. Hope the uh, Tennessee Valley turns out for that concert and, and has a good time and enjoys themselves. Really enjoy working out there at the Orion. So uh, this episode is pre-taped, but it's going to be a good one. I hope you enjoy it. Just so you know, every episode is played on YouTube and Facebook and is released on your favorite podcasting platform uh, just a few days later. <clears throat> so today on the show, we're going to go back to some labor history and share an introduction to the successful Scottsboro teacher strike of 1981. And that's Scottsboro, Alabama, with educators throughout the school system leading a successful two-day strike. So that's what we're talking about today. But before we get into that, I want to take a moment to thank our very first sponsor for Shop Talk. At the Valley Labor Report, we are big fans of Labor Notes. Labor Notes is a media and organizing project that since 1979 has been the voice of union activists who want to put the movement back in the labor movement. Through their magazine, website, books, conferences, and workshops, Labor Notes promotes organizing, aggressive strategies to fight concessions, alliances with worker centers, and unions that are run by their members. Labor Notes is also a network of rank-and-file members, local union leaders, and labor activists who know the labor movement is worth fighting for. They encourage connections between workers in different unions, worker centers, communities, industries, and countries to strengthen the movement from the bottom up. With 40 years of movement building behind them, Labor Notes exist as a resource for leaders and union members who want to chart a new course for the labor movement. At the Valley Labor Report, we are proud subscribers and supporters, and we encourage our listeners to do the same. Go to labornotes.org to find out more. And I definitely do encourage you to check out Labor Notes. Uh, if you missed our episode last week, I talked with Courtney Smith from Labor Notes, and we had a very good discussion about her workshop that she offers called Race and Labor. So definitely check that out if you missed it. So as I mentioned, today we are talking about the Scottsboro Educator Strike of 1981. Uh, I love 
labor history, especially love Alabama labor history, uh, and even better when it involves educators. Long-time listeners will know I'm a former educator myself. I uh, taught high school history here in Huntsville for a few years. Uh, that's what I did right out of college. Uh, and frankly, I expected to be a career educator. Uh, but life takes you on different turns. Uh, I ended up working for the Alabama Education Association, and I did that for over five years representing Huntsville City Schools employees. Uh, so this, this strike that we're going to talk about today uh, definitely resonates with me and my experiences as an educator and as an education uh, advocate. I do want to put the strike in context uh, before we get into the, the nitty-gritty details. And I also want to mention that I'm calling this an introduction uh, because much like the Walker County teacher strike that we, had, we talked about with the very first episode of Shop Talk, there are very limited sources on this. I can find very little information about the 1981 Scottsboro educator strike. Uh, thankfully, I've been working some sources and I have a list of contacts of people to reach out to and interview uh, people who actually participated, either as a student or as an employee uh, or as a parent activist. And so uh, that is one of my goals is to interview those folks and get some primary sources uh, and really expand this history because it's important. And so looking forward to doing that. And uh, at the Valley Labor Report, we, we've been developing ideas on how we could do uh, maybe a mini series focused on Alabama labor history. So if you're at all interested in that, if that sounds cool to you, uh, if you've got ideas along, the, along those lines, definitely reach out to us. Uh, because it's one of those projects that we we have kind of on our radar. We just haven't had capacity yet to really pursue it, uh, but it's definitely on our radar. And, you know, if it's not something we, we get done this fall, certainly a goal for 2024. So with all that out of the way, uh, getting back to this strike in the context in which it happened, 2009 was the first year there were more public sector union members than private sector in the U.S., so, you know, we've seen a lot of efforts to diminish the union strongholds within the public sector. Uh, and these public sector strongholds are a key component of what's left of the American labor movement. But it wasn't always that way. Postal workers paved the way decades earlier, uh, but public sector unionization, particularly in education, didn't really hit its stride until the 60s and 70s. Teachers first secured collective bargaining rights in 1959 in Wisconsin, which, of course, was home to a monumental push to crush public sector unions about 50 years later under the right-wing governor, Scott Walker. In Alabama, political leadership has long tried to stop unionization and the interracial people power it creates. Educators here never secured the legal right to strike or collectively bargain contracts. That said, the organizing push did have its successes even in conservative Alabama. The largest education organization was the Alabama Education Association. While an affiliate of NEA, which is the nation's largest teachers union, AEA has always resisted unionism, and to some extent, you know, the NEA for that matter. 
Starting as a professional organization for superintendents and administrators way on back in 1856, it never really let go of that heritage, and even to this day, bosses are members of the AEA. But the organization took a more modern shape in 1969 with the successful merger of the all-white AEA with the all-black Alabama State Teachers Association, which is short for, uh, or ASTA for short. And, you know, even like our schools, the teachers' organizations were segregated. And perhaps surprising given Alabama's resistance to integration and civil rights, the NEA's merger of AEA and ASTA was probably the most successful one in the South. It was a few years later when support staff would also be allowed to join AEA. So by the time of the 1979 strike in Walker County, the AEA was still early in its development and arguably at the height of its militancy and power with an integrated membership and a political machine that successfully fought back the powerful Governor George Wallace's attempt to raid the pension fund earlier in the decade, around 1971. Uh, so that really is when AEA made its mark in 71, fighting off the pension raid attempt by Governor George Wallace, who at the time uh, was extremely powerful and more or less dominated the legislature so when Paul Hubbard and Joe Reed teamed up uh, and a couple of years later had the successful win against George Wallace, it really bolstered AEA's ranks. Uh, as I mentioned, the support staff started being integrated into the membership during the 70s. <clears throat> Again, that's going to boost your membership and, and boost your strength, right? Uh, organizing wall to wall in the schools and including all personnel. Uh, certified our support. So you had that going on um, throughout the 70s. The AEA grows. Uh, we've talked earlier in Shop Talk about the 1979 strike in Walker County, uh, which is believed to be the first teacher strike in Alabama. It was also a successful strike uh, where educators won all of their demands. Something else that was going on around this time, uh, in 1980, the AEA held a delegate assembly that spring, and the delegates actually took a statewide strike vote. Uh, made a lot of news back in the time. Um, the strike did not happen. There was no statewide strike in 1980. Uh, the governor and legislature started to see things a little bit more clearly uh, after that strike threat. Uh, but, you know, you had this going on and kind of percolating out in the atmosphere, uh, which, you know, leads us into 1981. And this strike in Scottsboro happened in May of 1981. Uh, my labor historian friends will, of course, know that 1981 was when the famous or infamous PATCO strike occurred, the air traffic controllers. Uh, strike that was infamously busted by President Ronald Reagan, uh, which really, you know, displayed a new front in the class war. It was a declaration of war by Reagan on unions, uh, public sector unions, private sector unions, all unions. The labor movement certainly uh, saw itself in the crosshairs, and it has been in the crosshairs ever since. 
And we've seen a dramatic decline in membership in labor unions across the country over these past 50 years, uh, you know, past 40 years in particular. So we've seen uh, the spread of right to work and the spread of all sorts of anti-union uh, laws, regulations, and we've seen the growth of union busting um, as its own cottage industry and, you know, as a default option for so many employers faced with organizing campaigns. Uh, we've seen the ways in which globalization has been used by capitalists, right, to bust the labor movement by shipping factories and plants overseas to avoid union workforces. Uh, and we've also seen the South being used in much the same way, uh, where for many historical reasons, uh, many of which related to white supremacy and the history of white supremacy here in the South, you know, we have always been subject to vicious anti-union laws and politicians um, and just various anti-union forces here in the South. And so union membership tended to be lower in the South uh, particularly by the time we get into the 80s. And so the South has been used as a refuge by corporations looking for cheaper labor, less educated labor, uh, labor that is non-union, you know, and throw in very friendly politicians with lax regulations, uh, generous tax subsidies and incentives, right? And it's a recipe for what we see today. So all that context, you know, to lead us into 1981 itself and what's happening in Scottsboro. The PADCO strike was in August. Scottsboro strike was in May. And I just think that's interesting. Uh, and I wonder um, what effect it would have had, you know, had this issue really come to a head after the PADCO strike you know, would it have changed things? So I, I just think that's one of those interesting what-ifs. I uh, always like that in history. But I want to bring us to AEA, the head of the class in Alabama politics, a history of the Alabama Education Association by Don Eddins. Uh, in this, he has a small section on the Scottsboro teacher strike, and it is one of the only sources, uh, the so far the best source I have found about this strike. Uh, so I'm going to quote extensively from Don Eddins. A sign attached to a portable toilet strategically placed for the benefit of Scottsboro school pickets declared here to stay until Skidmore goes. Such was the resolve of Scottsboro picketers in 1981. But for once, teachers did not have to take the lead. Scottsboro parents, angered over the dismissal of 20 teachers and five support workers and displacement of three principals, demanded the resignation of Superintendent Max Skidmore, vowing to shut down the schools until he was gone. Axe Max became the rally cry of the parents, who feared unusually large classes and subpar schooling for their children. The group formed a committee, Save Our Schools, not to be confused with a mobile committee of the same name and different motivations, to vent frustrations and appeal for help. The situation is serious, Doug Hodges, SOS spokesman, told the Scottsboro City Council in April 1981. The steering committee for SOS feels we are sitting on top of a time bomb. 
We feel there are students who are emotionally disturbed to the point of striking out with anger. Thousands of students. There are parents and teachers ready to ignite the fuse. SOS leaders did not get much help from either the city council or the appointed school board. The Scottsboro Education Association, SEA, and Scottsboro Education Support Personnel Organization, SESPO, were equally frustrated. The group summoned AEA head Paul Hubbard to a meeting May 7, 1981. When I got there, recalls Hubbard, they were all up in arms, ready to take some action. Hubbard warned teachers and support workers of the potential consequences of a strike. The angry employees divided into individual school groups and decided the risk was worth taking. Question was, what action should be taken? The options included reporting for school as usual, supporting the parents picketing, or going on strike. Teachers and support persons decided to honor parents' picket lines. AEA members spent the weekend helping parents make signs, schedule picketers' hours, and otherwise prepare to shut down schools. Parents and teachers announced there would be no school on Monday. Scottsboro is a quiet, northeast Alabama city which had a 1980 population of 14,758. When the boycott was held in May 1981, its six schools had 3,400 students and 186 teachers. But on the first day of the job action, only 130 students and 26 teachers crossed parent picket lines. Five of the system's six principals signed a statement demanding the resignation of their boss, Dr. Skidmore, and the strike was strongly supported by bus drivers, cafeteria workers, and other support persons. The board and superintendent claimed the issue was money, that proration of school funds necessitated cutbacks, although Skidmore told the Daily Sentinel that not all the employees were let go because of lack of money. Parents and teachers said the issue was Skidmore. An SEA poll indicated that 87% of the system's teachers wanted Skidmore to resign. SEA President Eleanor Muse told the Sentinel that Skidmore formed committees under the guise of giving teachers input, but failed to include the recommendations and policies submitted to the board. Muse, in a 1981 newspaper interview, told of an instance in which teachers from all six schools volunteered to serve on a committee to address an issue. Dr. Skidmore put down our spokesman, dismissed the meeting, and announced the committee would be of no further use said Muse. First day of the strike, Monday, May 11th, the Scottsboro Board of Education sought and obtained an injunction prohibiting AEA, SEA, SESPO, and SOS, the parent group, from interfering with the orderly operation of the schools. Circuit Judge Lloyd Campbell enjoined picketing within a certain distance of schools, but at the same time announced that he would not stand in the way of citizens' right of peaceful assembly. Teachers were not ordered back to work. On Tuesday, Campbell conducted a lengthy negotiating session involving school employee and parent leaders on one side and school officials on the other. Late in the evening, it was announced that Skidmore had resigned. All laid-off or demoted employees were guaranteed individual hearings before Judge Campbell. The schools opened Wednesday morning. It was a difficult time for all of us, 
teachers, support personnel, parents, and students, Muse told the reporters. We are pleased with the settlement of this agreement and are happy to be returning to the classroom to continue the instructional programs of Scottsboro schools. There is no way we would have achieved this great success without the total dedication and support of the citizens of Scottsboro. The parents and other concerned persons stood firmly united with the teachers and support personnel in seeing that our demands were met. Parents and teachers who had participated in the two-day school boycott assembled at the crisis center Tuesday night to celebrate. They joined hands and sang God Bless America before going separate ways. The walkout lasted just two days, but its impact is felt even today. As parents were marching, the Scottsboro legislative delegation was preparing a bill which would make Scottsboro's one of the first elected boards in Alabama. And again, that's from Don Eddins, AEA head of the class. And, you know, there's a lot of things that, that come to mind reading that story. You know, one thing that stands out is the remarkable unity, the unity of the educators, right? You had teachers, you had the support staff, like the bus drivers and cafeteria workers. Uh, you even had principals. And I think that's interesting. Uh, principals who, you know, are supposed to be instructional leaders, right? And so that's interesting to me that five out of six principals in the school system, they determined it was in the best interest of their staff and their students that they take a stand and demand resignation of their boss. That's powerful. So you had the unity among the educators and the unity with the community and with the parents and students. Um, one of the sources I'm hoping to talk to was actually a student during the strike and participated as a student leader. All right, so you had students, parents, community members, and they really led the charge. And that is, to me, something that seems to be a common trend when we look at educators having success in organizing, and certainly in you know the more recent era, right? We can look at the Chicago Caucus of Rank-and-File Educators and the tremendous work they've done trying to build community coalitions around the schools their students deserve. Uh, we've seen similar work in, in Los Angeles with UTLA, we saw it with the so-called red state revolts a few years ago uh, with statewide educator walkouts and, and protest and just tremendous upheaval uh, in West Virginia, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Arizona, right? So we've seen this as a common trend where educators can build power and have success organizing it is typically in conjunction with parents, students, and community members. You know, having those allies are critical because public schools are sort of unique in, in, compared to some other workplaces in that they're there to serve the public, right? And educators are there to help young people, to help those families, right? All of which ultimately gives back to the community. So that public engagement and building public coalitions, I think, is so huge. It was obviously huge here in the Scottsboro strike. 
Um, and I've even experienced that m myself, uh, organizing in Huntsville City Schools against Casey Wardinsky, uh, an infamous superintendent who was literally trained to implement corporate education reform and privatization and did a lot of damage to the Huntsville City School system, a lot of damage to educators, a lot of damage to students and parents in the community. And in my organizing efforts against him, I found that the community allies were huge. The parent allies were huge, even student allies. Uh, one of my favorite things in, in that campaign to unseat him and chase him out of this school system, which was ultimately successful, in no small part through his own misdeeds and uh, shenanigans, right? But that's part of it, maximizing your enemy's own weaknesses, building off that, taking advantage of that. And one of my favorite things about that fight against Casey Rudinsky was when a young man with the Huntsville High School student newspaper actually interviewed me, uh, as well as the Huntsville Education Association president, and talked to us about why are all of his teachers resigning? Why are they retiring early? Why are they leaving? Why is there so much disruption in his education? Uh, and he he went on to do great, fantastic things, serve in a uh, student newspaper role in college and a uh, very successful young man. And he wrote a heck of an article uh, as a senior in high school. And um, he faced censorship and uh, some, some pushback from the administration, uh, which I think was a very good lesson for him as a young journalist, aspiring journalist. Um, but the article itself ended up getting into AL.com uh, and certainly made some noise and, and helped uh, elevate this struggle uh, because that was one of the key issues was so many of the issues being felt by the educators and the parents and the students were not really being addressed in the media. They were not being discussed at school board meetings, right? And so you had like this one view for the public uh, but something very different that was being felt by people on the ground. And so that that's just something that comes to mind. And, and the parent community student allies were definitely huge here in Huntsville uh, in electing two strong women, former educators, to the school board uh, in 2016 and uh, building a coalition that was very diverse, diverse ideologically, demographically, Geographically, uh, it was a coalition that really just built public opposition to that leadership and that regime and that whole system of management. And it really um, it weakened the, the leadership to such a degree uh, that ultimately the superintendent, much as Mr. Skidmore uh, in Scottsboro, ultimately he resigned uh, in disgrace. And so I think there's a lot of lessons we can learn from that, especially those of you in education, um, that building those alliances and coalitions with students and parents in the community, that's critical to your success. And the last couple of things, uh, 
I kind of took note of the committees that are the bogus committees. Uh, that is something I think many workers can really resonate with. You know, how many of us have experienced that or seen that where, you know, the boss creates these committees ostensibly to get your input, your feedback, your uh, participation, right? And it's all a sham. They don't really want your input. They're not going to use your input. If you actually start trying to make the committee effective, it gets disbanded or neutralized, right? So I think that's an issue that translates. Many teachers will, will find that familiar, but uh, I think workers in, in various industries will really connect with that and, and have seen that before. Uh, and the last thing that stood out was also the way in which that transformed the school board into an elected school board. Uh, and that's a political battle that we see throughout the state on a pretty regular basis over should a school board be elected or not. You know, my personal opinion is it's better to have an elected school board. Uh, I think it's a more democratic system. I think it's more accountable to the people. Uh, there are pros and cons, of course, either way. But, you know, I, I think having that democratic input is very important. Public schools are supposed to serve the public, right? And the more you insulate the school system from the public, the worse we all are. All of us are worse off for that. So as I wrap things up today, I want to share some of the really cool events that Labor Notes is hosting. Uh, bookmark April 2024, 19th through the 21st in Chicago, April uh, the Labor Notes Conference. Definitely want to be there. Online, there's a stewards workshop on August 23rd on investigating grievances. And this is for stewards and elected officers. So August 23rd, that evening on Zoom, definitely check that out if you're a steward or an officer. There is a Secrets of a Successful Organizer uh, August workshop series on the 14th, 21st, and 28th. Uh, and previously this month, they had some really good trainings. So if you missed them, uh, you missed Race and Labor and Caucus How To. Right, so stay tuned to labornotes.org slash events so you can keep your eye out for those events. And uh, that's it, folks. That's it for Shop Talk today. Hope it was worth your time, and I really appreciate everyone listening. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your network and make sure that you're plugged into our work. Just a reminder that the Valley Labor Report is a working-class media collective dedicated to lifting up labor struggles throughout Alabama and across the South. We bring you Alabama's only union talk radio show every Saturday morning with the first half from 9.30 to 11 a.m. live on FM radio through WVNN here in the Huntsville listening area. The entire program is online via Facebook, YouTube, and podcasts, and portions of the program are replayed on WZZA in the Shoals and WHIV out of New Orleans. We definitely encourage you to check out our website, tvlr.fm, uh, where we publish news and articles. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Just put your email in, stay tuned, stay informed. Uh, and definitely check out our merch at tvlr.fm slash store. 
Uh, we are closing pre-orders at the end of August, I believe, for our new Join a Union shirt. Uh, Join a Union or the boss will get you. Riffing on that classic I-65 sign, go to church or the devil will get you. Uh, so you don't want to miss that. That is a really cool shirt. Go to tvlr.fm slash store. Finally, we rely on donations and sponsorships to put out all of this free content. We appreciate the local unions and organizations that have sponsored ads on our main Saturday show, as well as Labor Notes sponsoring Shop Talk. Definitely hit us up if you are interested in being a sponsor and running some advertisements. Our single biggest source of contributions comes from listener donations. You can make a one-time donation or a recurring contribution at tvlr.fm slash donate. Whether you donate, share, subscribe, or just listen, we appreciate your support and we can't do it without you. And so if you share our mission to grow the Southern labor movement, if you share our belief in the power of solidarity and collective organization, if you want media that is for working people, by working people, please consider becoming a recurring donor at tvlr.fm slash donate. All power to the workers. Solidarity, y'all.